I've got this buddy who spent a few years working as a forest ranger in the US. He has spun some spine-chilling yarns about his findings on the job, leading me to a startling realization. Either all forest rangers are in cahoots, sharing elaborately conceived tales for anyone curious about their work, or the wilderness is a trove of more mysteries than we can fathom. One story that continues to occupy my mind rent-free is about this bizarre pit he discovered deep in the forest. He mentioned receiving reports about an excavated pit that fellow rangers had stumbled upon while patrolling just a gigantic, gaping hole in the middle of the woods. Being the curious type, he decided to investigate, and sure enough, he found the pit. A cavity in the earth about the size of a car, with an oddity at its center. A vintage record player in seemingly perfect condition. My buddy brought the relic back to the office, and the rest of the team filled the pit in. The record player became a forgotten mystery when no one came forward to claim it. A week later, they faced a reprimand from their superiors for failing to fill the pit news that left my friend bewildered. He knew he and his colleagues had done so. However, they were met with undeniable evidence to the contrary when they returned to the site. The pit was there, untouched, without a trace of the soil they had used to fill it. The only change? A vintage cigarette case now lay in its center. My friend once again filled the pit, half assuming that there was some mischief at play, maybe some ritualistic actions. But it didn't add up. Again, nobody inquired about the cigarette case, so naturally he kept it. Days later, reports came in. The pit was back. The rangers were tired of the games. They took a small security camera with them, intent on catching the pit excavator. What they found this time was a small, old, leather-bound notebook. They installed the camera, filled the pit and left. The pit never returned. Whoever was digging it seemed to have been scared off by the camera. However, the curious part wasn't over. My friend had the collected items examined, confirming their authenticity and remarkable condition. A peculiar way for a vintage collector to store their treasures. But the strangest discovery was in the journal. A newspaper clipping dated April 17, 1972, and one cryptic phrase, it worked. Another story involves a kid who emerged from the woods one day. He was slightly dirty standard for a child after a day's play. Clad in a t-shirt and jeans, there was nothing odd about his appearance. The rangers found him and took him to one of their offices to inquire about his parents, his presence there. He said he had lost his family while chasing a beetle in the woods. The kid seemed normal, but he had a unique accent, making English sound like a well-learned second language. When asked for his parents' names, he replied with K-98 and D-54. They probed for their real names but he just kept repeating those alphanumeric sequences, confused by their questions. They tried to ask him for his parents' contact numbers, how long he had been lost, or any other identifying details, but to no avail. All the questions seemed foreign to him. Suddenly, the boy announced that he had made a severe mistake, bolted from the office, and disappeared into the forest. The rangers pursued him, but he was too swift. They searched the forest extensively, but found no trace of him. Search and rescue teams were summoned, missing posters were distributed, social media shares were circulated, 
and the police even got involved at some point. But the child was never seen or heard from again. After searching extensively and covering as much terrain as possible, they found nothing, not even a footprint. Everyone braced for the inevitable moment when worried parents would show up asking about their missing child. But no one ever came. As time passed, the search efforts waned. The boy's story became a missing person's report with only a generic physical description to go by and the unusual names of his alleged parents, K-98 and D-54. Among the rangers, it became somewhat of a taboo topic. Nobody wanted to ponder the grim possibilities of where a child lost in the woods might have ended up. Yet, even with the scant hope of ever uncovering the truth, my friend holds a firm belief. That boy was not merely lost, but somehow purposefully placed in the woods. He entertains the possibility that the kid might have been a product of an extraterrestrial entity masquerading as his parents. It's a peculiar case indeed, and one shrouded in an aura of suspicious activity. After the search died down, any mention of the incident on social media was pulled down. Documentation that had been released was suddenly redacted. Everything about the case, to this day, reeks of fishiness. But these are just two tales from my friend's time as a forest ranger. There's no shortage of eerie stories he's shared with me over the years, and whether it's all a grand inside joke amongst rangers, or the woods truly hold inexplicable mysteries, I may never know. All I do know is that his accounts have left me with a newfound sense of wonder and a dash of unease about what lies hidden in the depths of our forests. As my friends and I were driving back home from the prom, we found ourselves on a secluded country road, nestled amidst the Portland-Vancouver area. It was during this journey that I noticed something unsettling, something that sent a shiver down my spine. Glimpsing at one of the houses along that road, an inexplicable sense of unease washed over me. The feeling was so strong that I couldn't shake it off. Curiously, I observed that this eerie sensation seemed to permeate most of the houses lining that street, creating an atmosphere of dread and foreboding. Although none of us initially mentioned it, I eventually confided in one of my friends, a remarkably perceptive empath, who confirmed experiencing the same unsettling vibes. It was a relief to know that I wasn't alone in my apprehension. What struck me about these houses was their distinct appearance. They had a peculiar architectural style, characterized by front yards that seemed to extend inward, creating an enclosed atmosphere. All of them followed a ranch-style design, and their front yards boasted gardens adorned with numerous small pine trees. I couldn't pinpoint whether it was the house's appearance alone or something more intangible that triggered such a strong reaction within me. However, the moment we left that road, an overwhelming sense of relief washed over me, gradually dissipating the haunting feeling that had plagued us. Nonetheless, the events of that night linger in my mind, leaving me with questions that demand answers. I wonder if anyone else has had a similar experience in that area. Has this phenomenon been observed by others? I'm open to hearing theories and explanations that could shed light on what caused these unsettling vibes and the palpable sense of dread we encountered that night.
not police or military, but a firefighter I have too that I found creepy. The first was an old church that in the 70s a local business bought. They used it as file storage before the building was condemned for not being livable. We got called for a remote alarm through a security company. A pretty standard call. Anyways on arrival, we did a 360 walk around. Couldn't see anything but found a few broken windows. So we make entry through the front and just walk around with just flashlights. The dust, decaying rooms and creaking of wood from other teams walking was unsettling. Then the audible alarm sounded. Just about jumped out of our skin. We find the panel shut it off, and as we turn around two cops are standing behind us. One surprised jump and hearty laugh later, and we were out having found nothing. The second was smoke in the building at a telecom relay house where they keep local servers for phone and internet. We were walking around could smell electronics burning sea hazy smoke, but didn't find a fire. Additionally, the whole building had a very Stranger Things vibe that none of us could shake. During our two-month training stint at White Sands, New Mexico, my unit had an interesting experience that, while not particularly eerie, left us in awe. We were in the midst of a night range exercise, diligently shooting away, when suddenly, it seemed as if someone had switched on a fairly bright light. Naturally, frustration arose among us because such brightness interferes with our night vision goggles NVGS. But then, out of nowhere, a tremendous clap of thunder resonated through the air, halting our shooting and capturing our attention. Every soldier directed their gaze upward, trying to comprehend what had just occurred. What we witnessed was nothing short of extraordinary, a colossal meteorite had streaked through the atmosphere, exploding into fragments that illuminated the night sky with a brilliance akin to daylight. In that moment our frustration melted away, replaced by pure amazement and wonder. The entire area was bathed in an ethereal glow, courtesy of this celestial spectacle. It served as a reminder of the vastness and unpredictability of the universe, leaving an indelible mark on our memories. While it may not have been spooky, it was undoubtedly a breathtaking encounter with the grandeur of nature's cosmic dance. I always loved being up in the woods of Washington. The cold, frigid air cuts through my clothes and makes my bones cold. The kind of cold that makes your soul take a deep breath. I muster my strength upon a steep incline through these woods. I keep on telling myself, one more step is all I need. When you know you're in a tight spot you always encourage, or for myself I lie to myself. Helps keep me going. I turn around as I finally reach the campsite and welcome the achievement of life that I'm at. The sun is now going down and I pitch up my three-step pop-up tent. I begin to crawl into my half-made tent like a dog runs to its kennel after being awake all day. I take my baby wipes out and begin bird bathing myself. Even though I am freezing I know sweat is all over my body especially the amount of layers I wear currently. Jeans off, jacket off, sweater off, socks off, shorts off. Ah, I feel relaxed and refreshed cleaning myself off after this 8 hour trek through the woods of Mount St. Helens. I open my map and begin to chart my next destination in dreams of Mount Rainier after St. Helens. 
Crack. I pause and carefully peek out my tent liner. I don't see anyone or anything. I lay down enjoying the nature around me and begin to drift off. Crack. I sit up and open my liner and I see a face. Ah heart pounding and this pale white man runs across my tent into the tree line. I begin looking through my bag to find bear mace and my camping axe. I clutch it with white knuckles as hard as I can and I step out my tent. I turn around and see a ring of men in black robes around my campsite staring at me. I run into my tent and phone for the park rangers. Rangers pick up and I scream. Help I'm being stalked there's dozens of people around me please get here as fast as possible. I stay in my tent staring at my phone with every minute passing by I become more fearful. Breathing speeding up with every breath anxiety shaking my body. All I hear is, who phoned for the rangers? I bolt out of my tent to see two rangers on four wheelers armed with hunting rifles. I look and no one is around us just me and the rangers. I hop on their four-wheeler and one hour later I get returned to their office. I get handed a bulky camera and I cycle through the photos. Pictures of me throughout my hike were taken. Distant shots and pics of me even urinating outside. Till this day I don't go to the woods near Mount St. Helens. In August of 2010, I had my very own sighting of something similar while working third shift patrol with another deputy for Dallas County Precinct 3 Constable's office near Forney, Texas. At the time I was stopped at the intersection of County Road 298 and Still Bridge Road, facing eastbound on CR 298 with my emergency lights activated. As I scanned the surroundings, I noticed something unusual moving northbound off to my left in a small wooded area. Initially, it appeared to be a large armadillo or some other rodent seeking shelter in the brush. However, it quickly became apparent that this creature was different. It was agile and swift, moving through the thick undergrowth with remarkable speed. Though it didn't seem overly large at first, it maintained a safe distance as it zigzagged between the trees, steadily approaching me at approximately 15 miles an hour. What struck me most was its long mane and shaggy hair, reminiscent of a horse, but its movements were unlike anything I had ever witnessed. It seemed almost alien and robotic, walking upright on two legs, covering ground with long strides akin to someone running through tall grass pretending to be Tarzan. As the creature drew nearer, about 65 feet away from my location, I decided to step out of my vehicle. At that moment, I could hear dogs barking in the distance, seemingly at the same time this creature emerged from the trees on the other side of CR 298. It locked eyes with me momentarily, its expression suggesting surprise or regret, before swiftly retreating into the brush, disappearing from sight. Estimating its height at around 5 feet, and noting its slender build and thick hair, I remained at the scene for about 15 minutes half expecting it to reappear on the other side of the brush. However, it never did. Despite the proximity between us, separated only by a ditch and several trees, I didn't sense any aggression directed towards me. If the creature harbored any ill intentions, it could have easily reached me. In that area, residents frequently report sightings of stray dogs and feral hogs, as people often discard unwanted pets into those woods. 
However, nobody seems to know the true identity of this enigmatic creature. Perhaps the abandoned pets serve as a food source for this mysterious entity. Furthermore, a third deputy also reported seeing tracks believed to be from the same creature in a similar location. Unfortunately, after several weeks of attempting to relocate the tracks, they were lost. It surprises me that this phenomenon is not more widely known, especially considering the number of reports made over the years by numerous individuals in the area. Some witnesses even claim to have heard blood-curdling screams resembling a woman being murdered, emanating from deep within those very woods. Despite thorough investigations, no evidence of violent deaths or missing persons matching these descriptions has ever been found. Official explanations for these events typically range from wild dogs and coyotes to escaped exotic pets like monkeys and lions. However, some locals entertain the possibility of an undiscovered species, such as a Sasquatch or an undocumented breed of primate. The only clue we have ever stumbled upon was a single set of prints, later identified as belonging to a man's work boot, likely dropped accidentally during his normal duties. It leaves us wondering if there truly is something out there, lurking right under our noses, waiting to be discovered. In 1995, my marine company woke up before sunrise at 29 Palm Springs. It was around 5.30 in the morning, and we were all gathered, sitting on our backpacks, awaiting orders. Suddenly, our attention was captured by five brilliant lights emerging from behind a hill roughly 200 feet away. These lights swiftly ascended into the sky without making a sound. Then, they started moving in a serpentine manner for several minutes before vanishing from our sight in an instant. Everyone in the company witnessed this phenomenon, including our company commander. To our surprise, he called for a company formation in the dark night, which was quite unusual. Once we were assembled, he addressed us, saying, Listen, we all saw it, and we know what it was. Don't ever speak about this to anyone outside of this company while you're still enlisted. I'll handle it myself. So stay quiet and let's prepare for the patrol. The commander's reaction left us with a sense of intrigue and caution. It was clear that something out of the ordinary had occurred, and he wanted to keep it strictly within our ranks. We followed his instructions and kept the incident to ourselves. Our focus shifted to preparing for the patrol ahead, suppressing any lingering thoughts about the mysterious lights in the dark desert sky. Reflecting back on that experience, it remains a haunting memory something that happened in the depths of the night, sparking curiosity and leaving us with unanswered questions. I had pitched the tent for the night and was in bed, not yet asleep was hunting by myself. I heard some commotion outside and thought it to be elk. Next there was debris being thrown at my tent rocks not big enough to break through. The area was very rocky and was not a slide. I heard some movement above me. I was camped right about 75 yards max from the canyon down into Valsets Valley. Anyway I kind of just freaked out. It stopped and I went to sleep. The next morning I looked around and found a few rocks laying around, nothing bigger than maybe a baseball.
On October 21, 2015, my father fell out of a tree stand. He was not properly harnessed and fell as soon as he started to get down. He hit against several thick branches and broke two parts of his spine and an arm, collarbone and nose. If his face had been facing slightly to the left, his nose bone would have been projected into his brain and he would be dead. It is a miracle that he survived, but he was far from help and was alone, broken and bloody for hours. He manages to somehow drag himself far enough to the edge of the woods to call for help. He had to get two titanium rods put in his back and undergo several surgeries to ensure that he would be able to continue walking. It took over a year and a half for him to achieve any semblance of recovery. On October 21, 2017, he was in a tree stand again. This time, a defect in the stand caused it to collapse and him, in his infinite wisdom, was again unharnessed. He was once again falling from a tree. He was lucky, as the rods in his back prevented his spine from breaking again, and he was closer to the ground than last time. However, he did still break one of his knees and shatter half of his hip. This time he was able to call for help on a phone he had with him. He has been an addict all of his life, and is now but a shell of his former self. An opiate abuser, there is truly no chance for him to recover. While he can walk, his posture is permanently hunched. He looks a hunchback. He moves like an 80-year-old man. He is 44. His pain is permanent, and so that he cannot even function without the pills he abuses. These accidents have completely destroyed any semblance he could have if a normal life. I myself have never been interested in hunting, but I can say with confidence that he will never step foot in a tree, or perhaps a forest for that matter, ever again. My father saw his death, and narrowly evaded it twice. Hunting is not a safe sport. It can be dangerous, and in not too extreme cases fatal. Be careful. My family has a hunting cabin in the Allegheny National Forest of Pennsylvania. My grandpa, who worked in a steel mill in Pittsburgh, bought the land in the 70s whenever the real estate agents used to go into the mills and post ads for huge plots of lands that the steelworkers would break up and all get their own plots for dirt cheap, then help each other build their camps. Allegedly, there was a gravesite found on the property that my grandpa bought. The details aren't exactly clear how this was discovered, but apparently some type of survey was done before the property was sold, and archaeologists from the University of Pittsburgh uncovered a very old Native American grave. They excavated the grave, but the pit, by that point now just a depression in the ground, was still there. This was on my grandpa's property about 200 yards from the cabin. Of course I don't know that any of this is true. But the depression was, and as far as I know is still there, and that was the story we were all told. Of course, when I was a kid, my cousins, and I used to do very dumb and disrespectful things like go back to the site in the middle of the night, and dare each other to lay down in it. I probably was about 10 years old when this happened, in the early 90s. My dad swears he doesn't remember it, but my cousin I keep in touch with clearly also remembers it. We were sitting around the campfire, roasting hot dogs and marshmallows, talking. That type of thing. Obviously, there was no alcohol on my part as I was like 10, and my dad didn't drink. 
I remember my dad shushing everybody and my older cousins and my dad were talking about seeing somebody in the woods. My dad is telling everybody to be quiet and he shines a flashlight into the woods. We don't see anybody. We go back to our business and one of my cousins shouts out there he is again. By shielding the light from the fire, you can see a wispy, grayish human figure walking through the woods slowly, like prowling like he's trying not to make any noise. He was walking from our left as if he came from behind the cabin, and was crossing the wood line along our left, and then across the front of the yard just along the trees, but probably 50 yards or so from us, taking a wide turn to avoid us. Nobody said a word. My dad and one of my cousins both shined flashlights several times, but he would disappear. You could only see him in the dark and after your eyes adjusted. At some point he walked in the field of view where the fire was between us and him, and we never saw him again. The creepy part is the direction he was walking was towards the gravesite. We had never seen this before and never saw it again. I probably spent a week every summer at the camp until I was about 20. Family drama weirdness after my grandpa died kind of ruined the camp for us and I haven't been back. Needless to say, we didn't mess with the grave again after this. My family and I went on a trip to the Hawking Hills area of Southern Ohio a few weeks ago. There was a place that I always wanted to visit, the abandoned ghost town Moonville Rail Tunnel. I have never been to this area, so I didn't know what to expect, but I did know it was pretty deep in the woods. We took a trip from our rented cabin using Google for GPS to the location. We start driving and it's, for lack of better words, real impoverished where we are driving or hills have eyes-esque. We literally only see a few cars on the way there and are on back roads. We get to a point where we need to enter into a forest and we are close to the tunnel. There was a sign that said we were entering Bubblewood. For a little additional information, I drive a Mercedes that I am just lucky to have and have my husband in the car, a black man with dreadlocks, my 10-year-old non-verbal autistic son and my 6-year-old daughter. We drive down this real creepy stone road into the forest, and there is nothing back there, no houses, no cars, nobody. We see signs that we are close and pull in the parking lot. There is a footbridge with a ton of on it that people put there. We walk over the footbridge and make our way toward the tunnel, which is a lot larger than I expected. We hear this sound coming from the other side of the tunnel that goes into the woods away from the parking lot. A truck comes driving through the tunnel toward us while we are on foot. He gets out of his truck with a chainsaw and it's a white guy in his 60s. He walks with my entire family everywhere we go and through the tunnel. I tried to make small talk with him and pull some info about if he worked for the Department of Natural Resources, etc. He really wasn't budging. We turn around to walk out of the tunnel, and he starts using a chainsaw behind us, and the sound is just echoing through this tunnel. At this point, we have no cell phone service and literally no one knows my family is out there except us. I was already worried my car was sending the wrong idea to people like we HV money or something we don't. We rush to the car to get the kids in their booster seats, and this MF comes driving over the footbridge in his truck towards us in the parking lot. I honestly don't even know how his truck fit on it. 
He stops again and gets out of his truck and starts walking the other direction, much to our relief. About this time, I notice there are dusty handprints on my car. I asked my husband if they were his, and we compared his hand and my son's, and they were not a match. I don't know who could have touched the car because we were with the chainsaw man the entire time we were there. We get out of there as fast as possible. Just a few minutes later, I look in my rearview mirror, and there is a bunch of dust kicked up behind us, and there he is. He had to have driven pretty fast on the stone road to catch up to us like that. There is nowhere to go in this woods. The road is basically one lane, and we have no cell service or GPS. Every time I think we lose him, he is there again. I am waiting for my tires to get popped or something, or for this guy to ram me off the road into a ravine in the woods. Finally we get out of this woods and I turn out and he's still following. We were following printed directions to get back, and I ended up making a wrong turn in the excitement. The guy in the truck was finally gone, and I turned around to go back past the stone road that goes into the forest. There is one lone house near this road, and there is his truck. Parked there. He had to have seen us drive onto this road into the woods and taken some back way to the tunnel. I don't know if he was just trying to protect the site from more graffiti or what but he really creeped us out. It was like every scary movie trope rolled into one single event. When I was a child, my mother used to regale me with stories of her own mother, who served as a park ranger. She spoke of the deep love her mother had for the job, and it ignited a flame within me to follow in her footsteps. But as life would have it, my grandparents passed away leaving me with the responsibility to watch over the park. Every day as I carry out my duties, memories of my mother's devotion to the park fill my mind. She excelled at her job, pouring her heart and soul into its preservation. However, she often mentioned the strange occurrences she would hear in the trees, as if they held a secret language only the woods could decipher. Somehow, she considered it normal. As I grew older, I took up the mantle of ranger, ensuring the park remains safe and protected. I always carry a special soda with me, finding solace in the familiarity and comfort it brings. My friends warned me against pursuing this job, recounting tales of resignations and a code of silence surrounding the things they witnessed. But despite their warnings, I felt drawn to this role. In 2019, I received a call to work the night shift during Christmas. My husband pleaded with me not to go, reminding me of our plans to celebrate together. But duty called, and I couldn't abandon my post. After all, how could we go out for a meal if I didn't work to put food on the table? I reassured him we would celebrate when I returned. On my way to the job, doubts began to creep into my mind. What if I encountered something dangerous? What if I got bitten, and there was no one around to save me? At least I had my watch, a gift from the job, to communicate with others. It offered a sense of security knowing that help was just a call away. Arriving at work, I was greeted by my best friend, who unbeknownst to me, was also on the same shift. She had been working double shifts, and exhaustion lined her face. She spoke of the strange noises she had heard near a nearby pond. All I wanted was to be home with my husband but duty compelled me to carry on. 
As my friend clocked in for a break, I began my shift. Suddenly, I realized that I had misplaced my watch. Panic gripped me momentarily, but I remembered my friend's advice to stay posted. I decided to retrieve my soda from my vehicle instead. As I reached for my drink, a sinking feeling washed over me. I couldn't find it. I brushed it off, telling myself that this stage of the night would pass, and it would get better. Little did I know, the events about to unfold would shatter that illusion. The night grew darker, and the park came alive with the sounds of an ongoing event. We patrolled diligently, ensuring everything ran smoothly. But then, my friend received a call, instructing her to split and attend to a request on the other side of the park. She left, believing it was an order from our boss. I followed her, concerned for her safety. As I approached, I witnessed a horrifying sight. A creature leaped down from a tree, attacking my friend and dragging her into the pond. Desperation consumed me as I tried to intervene, but the creature's strength was overwhelming. It submerged into the water, leaving no trace behind. I knew my friend's fate was sealed. Frantic, I reached out to the dispatcher in the park, but my calls went unanswered. Using my watch, I contacted my boss, expressing my worry. He assured me that help was on the way. A rescue team was dispatched to locate my friend Bonnie, but their search yielded no results. The park had to be shut down, and the authorities were informed to ensure the safety of the public. The police acknowledged that something out of the ordinary had occurred, dragging Bonnie into the pond. Reviewing the footage, we discovered the eerie sounds she had mentioned. Despite this evidence, my boss dismissed her claims, chalking them up to insanity. But we knew she wasn't crazy. The weight of the tragedy settled upon us as we had to notify Bonnie's family of her untimely demise. It was the most heart-wrenching task I had ever faced. This Christmas, marred by sorrow and disbelief, was a reminder of the price we pay for dedicating our lives to protecting others. As I returned home, eager to share the events with my husband, he noticed the scratches on my arms and face. Without uttering a word, I broke down and revealed the truth that Bonnie was dead, and everything had to be closed down. Confronting her family was an indescribable pain I had never known. This was the first Christmas I spent working, and I despised every moment of it. The things I witnessed and the loss I endured had etched themselves deep within my soul. The park, once a place of joy and wonder, now harbored darkness and an unsettling presence that could never be forgotten. After Navy boot camp, I got put on hold and sent to the other side of the Great Lakes base where they were forced to open up. Condemned or out of service barracks to stick me and six other Airedale buddies of mine in. We spent most of our time acting as first lieutenant or duty section leaders to prepare for the other Airedales that were to arrive from graduating boot camp divisions that would also be put on hold. The Pensacola base, which is where would wind up going for a school, got torn up during Hurricane Irene. In these barracks there was four different wings, two which we had opened up and brought back to life for newly graduated sailors to live in, and the other two were empty. Every night during our midnight six watch, we would see a light switch on in a room in the empty wing, and every night we would investigate it. We opened the door and no one would be in there, 
but there would be a Bible opened up to a specific page on the empty bunk rack, and it would just scare the shit out of us. I also remember hearing about all sorts of sailors committing S over the years on that base, as well as the enlisted club and base movie theater being haunted as F. I can't explain this, but we were hunting 25 years ago, and we found a white-tailed deer frozen into a river by his feet. Where it gets weird is this animal was cut in half. His rear end was missing, but it was how clean the cut was. It had looked like it was done with a band saw. Also the animal had been gutted like it was cleaned out with an ice cream scoop. Completely cleaned. No blood trail, no guts, just a half a deer frozen in the ice eyes wide open. Missing its entire backside. I've got no explanation for this, and I really don't even want to think about this anymore, as we still can't fathom what happened.